up, dog? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, dude. How are you? I'm good, man. Excited to be here. Excited to see you on this beautiful day. What's new? You and me both. Not a whole lot, man. Just uh, another day in the capital city, enjoying the weather, Hell reading yeah. some fucking reading some bullshit that I am super glad to take a break from so that I can talk to you. Is that for, for school, for important stuff? And now you're talking. Oh, yeah, that's for, that's, for, that's for the professional shit. Now it's time to get to the fun shit, baby. It's time I mean, to get to the cool. It's time to get to the real shit. Who are we talking to today, bro? Dude, today we are talking to a gentleman whose music has been a part of my life for a very long time. He is a guitar player. He is a songwriter. He is a road dog. And he is an all-around good dude. A gentleman by the name of Mike Schleibaum from a band called Darkest Hour. Yeah, dude, Darkest Hour rips. They've been around for quite a while. Me and my, uh, I had a friend in like middle school that was real, real into them. Like they were like heavy and edgy as shit back in the day. And I thought, oh, yeah, man, they, um, they are, they, to me, were the absolute pinnacle of the American melodic metalcore movement like that, that the crop sense. of bands the crop of bands that sort of combined the most accessible parts of Gothenburg melodic death metal um with American hardcore uh I feel like and, and, and you know that that subgenre enjoyed quite a bit of of success in the mid-2000s and it's still very influential regarding a lot of the more commercial metal bands that you hear yeah. um for my money, that mix, uh, Darkest Hour fucking nailed it, and nobody else ever came close. That band is still a band that I listen to routinely. Um, I am a member of their Patreon. It is actually the only Patreon that I support. Um, I love that. And I, I've been doing that for like 16 months now, I think. Um, very rewarding experience and uh I, i'm really excited to talk to the dude man I've, I've never met him before i've never seen the band live which is a pretty common thread for me with with shit that i've loved for for most of my life um but it's he, the thing about darkest hour especially about mike and mike the guitar player and john henry the singer the dudes who have, have are basically the core of the band who've been there for the longest since the beginning is that they just are super down to earth nice laid back dudes and oh, we've been lucky. we've been lucky and pretty much everybody that we've had on this podcast has been super cool and laid back like that but there's something about the dudes from darkest hour like you know i remember watching the the party scars and prison bars dvd that came out in like 05 or 04 or something like that and being like these are dudes that i could hang out with like they just seem they just seem like good chill guys and i'm really excited I'm excited to talk to them too. What is, oh, look at you with your Waterloo, everybody. Waterloo, if you're listening. Spotty time, baby. We're open, you know? We're, uh, Waterloo, we are currently accepting sponsorships oh, if you guys want to hit us up. I'm, uh, I'm sipping on a Waterloo on a pineapple right now. Zach, I see you've got something else. What have you got there, Listen, my dude? I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, you're, I'm slumming it today with the, with the fresh thyme brand of pink grapefruit sparkling water. Because do you know what fresh time is? It's like a it's like a Trader Joe's. Do you know what Trader Joe's is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm aware. It's, it's like a Trader I, Joe's I, kind of vibe. 
So it's like it's like a low key healthy store, but it's their brand. I'm slumming it because Waterloo, you're not hooking us up, bro. Waterloo, you're, you're, uh, you're dropping the ball, and and we want to keep supporting you, man. But Liquid Death is knocking at the door. They're gonna give us our own signature flavors. They're gonna fucking yeah, give us merch, and and they're gonna keep us fucking satiated. We you gotta you gotta step in. You gotta make a move. Death comes lifting and liquid death. I mean, it's it is it has to be done. We're making it happen. It's, so unless water made. pulls through, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. It's like the fucking trash compactor scene from Star Wars. It's closing narrower, baby. On you running all. out of space and running out of time. <laughs> I bet I I can't believe circling back to the very important topic of sparkling water that you've never had Topo Chico before. That Zach. I've, I've never heard it and I've never, I've never, I mean, I've never had it and I've never even heard of it. I've never seen it anywhere. They have it at Whole Foods. So I'm sure you, I'm sure they, they have it in your area. Check it I out. I must, I guess I just walk past it to get to the Waterloo because Waterloo is the name that I trust now. And he said, when we were talking to our dear friend, Zach Simmons from Goat Whore, um, who is a Topo Chico aficionado, he said, did he, if I remember correctly, that it comes in glass bottles? Is that? Yeah, is it that looks right? like, like an old Coke can or Coke bottle. I don't know how I feel about that. I understand your position, but it is pretty fucking good. I, like the, I crush cans. I like to, I like to like, suck those bad boys down. I too. I don't, like know, if, like I don't know if a bottle, if a bottle would be the same. Like I, at this point, I'm a connoisseur at this point, man. I'm thinking about mouthfeel. I'm I thinking about are. I respect it. I'm thinking about the feel of the of the of the cold metal upon my lips versus uh the hostile presence of a glass yeah. bottle. I just don't know, man. Plus not for a special occasion. Topo Chico is a special occasion thing. Like we're crushing Miller lights here all day. The Topo Chico will be like when we bring out like the liquor and stuff like you we used to, you know. Fine shit. Well, I might actually be making a Whole Foods run later today. So eyes peeled, and uh, I gotta. That's also. I, that. I gotta get my my tofu at Whole Foods. The only place that I can find the brand of tofu that I eat is at Whole Foods. So, really? Yeah. I am allergic to soybeans, so I don't fuck with tofu. I wish I could give you some recommendations, but I I can't do it. Allergic to soybeans. Allergic to soybeans, bro. I'm allergic to a few kinds of beans, like chickpeas, legumes, all that shit. Doesn't vibe with me. I'm a very bad vegan. Dude, that fucking sucks. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to earn sympathy points, but my my plant-based diet is full of martyrdom because I eat fucking hemp protein, hemp seeds, chia seeds, and some seitan, and that's my protein sources. I like I like the hemp seeds. I'm also a seitan person myself. Um, but like, I love I love the soybean baby and the mung bean as well. Um, I, hear, I hear good things about the mung bean. Big parts of, big dirty. Parts of, of my, it does sound it sounds gross. It does. Big, big parts of my my plant based diet, but like I so we've we've talked a little bit about my OCD yeah, before well, and you know. And when, when things were at their very worst and when it was very unchecked, I um, was very obsessive about the foods that I ate. And I went for a really long period of time, we're talking multiple months, where all, all that I ate quite literally was, was Triscuits and hummus. Okay. And 
this is a problem, of course. I there's nothing. It's not good, right? Um, I, I like you, dude. I think it's okay. <laughs> that was that was the situation at the time. Obviously, things have changed since then. But you telling me that you can't eat chickpeas yeah. uh, means that you can't eat hummus. Either. Very true. Very true. That I can't. I feel nothing but pity, even if you're not fishing for it. Like I hate it for you, my man. Maybe maybe in the next realm we can enjoy hum hummus over some death metal together. But you know, if if you're packing an epi pen. I can eat some hummus and then, you know, we can just, we can get, get rid of it real quick. Like I've done that. That shit. would be dope as, that would be dope as fuck to like feed you hum. We could share some hummus and then yeah. use an EpiPen to revive you and we could film the whole thing. Right. And, um, we could, we could use that as like a harm reduction thing and be like, it's not an EpiPen. It's, it's naloxone. And, and, and this is a, he was, it was a heroin overdose, but everything's fine now. It's fine. Um, we have like an exhume song playing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's how we'll market our shit. We should, we should get, now we're talking, now we're talking advertising for this podcast. And I'm willing to put myself in death's way for it. That's how you know. Some legit I, jackass shit. One, one time <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, because I'm allergic to peanuts is the main allergy and the legumes stems from that because peanuts are a legume. But like, you know, how every kid eats fucking Reese's cups and I never had a Reese's cup. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of seeing all you motherfuckers eat Reese's cups. So I did. And I ate these Reese's cups. And, I, and then I immediately had like a bunch of Benadryl and just took the Benadryl. It was like, fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. And I swelled up and then I fell asleep and everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I woke like up. The worst, good. the worst Reese's cup story I've ever heard, man. Those uh, things are the shit. That's what I'm saying. But like, I just couldn't take not eating a fucking Reese's cup. Because, Do you think it was worth it? Was it the sacrifice yeah, worth yeah. it? Yeah, no, I'm glad I did it because now I have that story. That's true. That's you true. Know? I was like eight. Like, who, who fucking cares? You know. Would you try that now? Yeah, that's what I was saying with hummus. It's going to be the same thing, especially if it's for our business, man. We're, we're putting blood on the line. That is rough. Oh, it's okay. I appreciate yours. But I I'm, was uh, getting at you transitioning into your into your vegan diet bro we touched yeah, on that last time is that is that yes. in progress no that is that is not in progress yet so i i'm a i'm a, I'm a person who thrives with routine right um <laughs> okay yeah i feel it and and this summer is not at all a routine summer for me um because we are i'm in the process of moving up to dc we're going to be moving. So we're, we got a new apartment that we're moving into. So we're going to have to move everything from my wife's current apartment in DC to our new apartment in DC. And then I'm going to have to move everything up from my apartment in South Carolina to the apartment in DC. On top of that, um, I'm doing all this stuff for work. It's, it's a very transitional period. This summer, gotcha. right? And yeah, so I don't want to stress myself out with more you are yes, yes. I am I am keeping part of my routine and my familiarity um, by sticking with my with my vegetarian keto diet. And the right now I'm planning on weaning off of that in August. Okay, very good. So between now and then, it's uh Satan and uh Light Life Grounds. I, I'm putting together a list of shit that I'm excited to try after I'm like all the way vegan and no longer vegetarian keto shit that I can't have right now. Are you still eating your keto bread and buns? Your keto buns? I, so I um. I love that. You got you got that video that I sent you like weeks ago, right? Yeah, it's great. 
I um the 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 uh Thin Slim Foods makes really good stuff, but it's also very expensive and it's not in stores, at least not where I am. So I have to, to have it shipped to me. Um, and I've found that there is a zero net carb brand of bread that is sold at Aldi's. Really? Yes. And that is the picture that I sent you sure. um, or the video that I sent you was me into an Aldi in West Columbia, South Carolina and buying an entire crate of that fucking bread. Yeah. yeah. Um, much of which is still frozen in my freezer right now. So I'm a hoarder. I'm a piece of shit, but whatever, man, like I'm doing what I got to do to get by. Hey man, we're, we're in apocalyptic times. You don't know when shit's going to shut down again and you have your fucking keto bread and no one else does. So I feel like you're good. That's correct. We have no idea how much of that bread was on the ever given in the fucking Suez Canal. We don't know, right? You got to make sure to plan for the future. You got to make sure that all of your bases are covered. And I'll be damned if I'm going to go without my zero net carb bread at this point. I've been to Paris. You can't send me back to the farm. Did you go to, have you been to Paris for sure? Is this a real thing? No, man. <laughs> it's a figure of speech. I'm talking shit. <laughs> I, I know you are. I figured you were, but in case you weren't, that you in Paris was something I was going to have to dive into. Oh, me and, no, I've never, I've right. never been to Paris. Paris keto bread sponsorships are open. That's all we're saying. Right. You want the entire city of Paris can sponsor this yeah. podcast. City of Paris, nation of France. Let's go. You guys like death metal? Get at us, right? Do they though? Uh, There's not that many great French death metal bands, I would say. Is there? Am I just talking shit? Catacomb, yes. Catacomb was from France, and they fucking ruled. But they only did like one record or like two EPs or something. But uh, Benighted is from France, from the from the Benelux area. And Benighted is one of my favorite bands, man. Like I fucking love that band. This is why I talk to you, bro, because I've never heard of this, and I'm I'm going in now. I would say oh, like, benighted. Okay, well, after we're done, I'll I'll send you a message. I'll put you together another playlist. No, please do. Be like because oh yeah, I got it. Man. They have a lot of shit. It has. I'm not going to say that benighted has a hit or miss catalog because all of their shit's good, but stylistically, the change throughout the course of their discography is vast, right? And I feel like there are places where you'll be more likely to enjoy it if you start in a certain place than you would in another. Yeah, okay. Are they like slammy? They look, they look like they could be. There are occasionally some slams, but it's at this point, I'd call it like... I got to be careful with this because I don't want people to think that I'm saying it's mellow death because it's not at all, but it is technical, brutal death metal with melodic development so think like cattle decapitation think aborted um it's sort of in that same vein right like it's techie it's heavy as fuck um but there is a whole lot of a lot of uh cool instrumentation stuff going quality wise that you don't always get in other in other tech bands well sweet let's get let's get them on man we don't have we haven't had anybody from france on yet let's 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 talk to these good um and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Julian, the the singer who you've you know he's he's guested on a number of different records, but I, he is the guy who in the in the studio live stream for the show the other night, I was asked what musicians, living or dead, if I put them together, 
would be my dream death metal supergroup. And I chose wow. Julian from Benighted as my vocalist uh, because the dude is fucking all over the place. Like he can do so much shit um, and he's really, really good at it. Like he's got amazing gutturals, but then like that super high pitched shriek, he can do that too. It's really yeah. fucking intense. Um, and if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, he had COVID last year. Um, and I think he, I think he had COVID and beat it, but I'm not entirely sure. I know that he worked like a frontline worker. I think he works in the healthcare industry in some capacity. Um, but yeah, dude, he would be a fucking blast to have on the show. I'm glad we dove into that, man. I'm excited, but uh, let's see what my man Mike has to say on the subject. Did he get COVID? Did he beat COVID? All death metal musicians do. Let's 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 hear it. He's coming. We're on. gonna have to find out. God damn it! Look at that mane on that man. Beautiful oh, guy. what's happening? What's up, man? Mike, How you guys doing? Mike Schleibaum of Darkest Hour. How are you doing, man? What up? Checking out you guys' bedrooms. That's it. Yes, That's it. we. We uh we keep it real. We want to bring you into our world a little bit, right? So I'm Schuler. I'm the dude who I've been I've been talking to you via email, um, and I'm joined today by my buddy Zach from Death Comes Lifting. Hello, sir. How you doing, dude? Good, man. What's new? What's up? What's up in your world, man? Well, man, just crazy. You can tell from my background. Uh, we've got yeah. right here. I've got a bunch of Darkest Hour albums. We're shipping out, signing, hand numbering. Uh, it's been kind of crazy uh, doing it all ourselves, but you know, the pandemic, the way it is, it's kind of been easier to just kind of DIY it. So got some albums, we're working, uh, we're working on a new record. So changing pickups and this guitar right here in the middle of all that. And uh, we're kind of been uh, really pushing on all fronts. You know, uh, we've been fortunate with the pandemic to be able to be stay busy no one got sick in our camp or you know really had to deal with anything other than the madness we've all had to deal with so uh we've been able to stay focused and uh yeah we've been growing our little monthly subscription service that we got working on a new record planning our return to the stage and uh you know trying not to die that's what we're doing <laughs> it seems like a, a decent spring right um a, a solid like spectrum of activities to keep you busy um so with all that shit dude there's a there's a whole bunch of shit you just mentioned we could dive in anywhere um but one of the things that i that i think is interesting i so i've been a fan of darkest hour you guys most recent release at that time was uh hidden hands of a sadist nation was when oh, i got in the band cool um and i bring that up specifically because you have been a band for a long fucking time um, you guys have been doing this for quite some time, and the world, the music industry, the world of touring, the world of being in a metal band, all that shit has changed drastically over the course of your careers. And one of the things that you guys have done to adapt is um, you started the Patreon thing over the last year and a half or so, right? Um, talk a little bit about how you got to the point where you guys decided to do that. And then I, you know, I mentioned before you got on, I've, I've been a member of the Patreon for quite some time and I found it to be a very rewarding experience. Um, but I'm curious about how you guys sort of got to where you decided to do that and what it is about that, that you think you make special. Like, how do you guys approach that as like an individualized thing to say, this is what we offer? Uh, well, first let me say thanks for your subscription, homie. You know what I mean? Because you are on the Patreon. Uh, 
But man, you are ta- you're really talking about a long arc of time. So let's take it back to when we started this band, there was no internet. Right. So uh, like the idea of changing what we're doing and uh, modifying what we're about and kind of pivoting, uh, that has developed over the years, but is nothing new to bands throughout bands existing. You know, every band has to deal with the one truth being that, you know, everything's always going to change. So uh, we have had our own set of challenges just staying around lo- this long, but a lot of people have faced these, like the invention of the internet, the invention of social media, you know what I mean? Uh, downloading music, streaming music. Um, so basically, once all that happened, then the record label model became a little bit questionable, and having put out uh, records on 11 different record labels total, uh, we've tried every single type of deal you can have. You know, and so uh, when at the time our, our manager's idea was to crowdfund the last album that we did, which is called Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora, it has been released worldwide on Southern Lord Records, but was funded by around 2000 people uh, who took part in a Indiegogo crowdfund campaign where we recorded that we, we raised 70 grand made a record, shipped it all to them, and then licensed it to Southern Lord and uh, had a release. So once we did that, we saw the power of connecting with you. Like, like I have no problem with talking to you if, like, as a person who loves the Hope Conspiracy and Darkest Hour, Metal, Hardcore, whatever, like, I'm at the grocery store, I'm at the bank, I'm at the fucking, at a show. Like, we don't tend to hide. We like to talk to people. We're, we've always had this thing after we play on a support tour, people wait until the band starts or till the next changeover and everybody will go to the merch table and hang out. I mean, uh, our connection to people that you would call fans is over the years has been kind of convoluted because we kind of think of them as peers and friends and we kind of interact with them that way. Uh, And then that allows them to kind of come into the culture of the band. And so we travel all over the place and there'll be people we know coming places bringing us gifts, doing stuff. And so the crowdfund that we did was sort of an extension of that. And along the way, a buddy of mine who was super into dirt biking uh, was into Patreon because in the beginning, there was a lot of people who were into BMX biking who would go run trails, video the trails, put the videos up everywhere. And then you could like see what trails you could ride on your bike. So a bunch of my biking friends, I guess I digress, uh, I like bike riding. Me and the singer of the band were, uh, we were bike messengers here in Washington, D.C. Actually, we funded uh, a lot of the travel for Hidden Hands of Sadist Nation by being bike messengers because that was our job. You know, so we like biking and my buddies kind of were like, man, you guys need to start a Patreon. And I I said, fuck no, (laughs) definitely not doing it. And then we started touring again, started doing every, you know, kept doing the thing. And then my buddy, who's a producer buddy, said, hey, man, you know, like, you guys post all the time. You have so much content. You have all this shit on YouTube. Like, you should think about making, like, a Patreon and making it easy for it all to be in one place. And my buddy does photography, does a Patreon. Second time, a super smart friend of mine that I respect is telling me I need to do this. And at this time, I think the band was feeling even more of the crunch of like, all right, we crowdfunded the last record. What are we going to do? We're going to sign to a record label. We, we didn't want to crowdfund another album because I will tell you, crowdfunding a record 
was its own challenges, like taking your money before we have something, creating it and building that trust and giving back to you is one thing. But doing that under the microscope of making the best possible record is harder because you have to manage people's expectations. So we didn't want to go through that again. I mean, to put it short, we take your money, we make the record, takes way too long before you all start complaining. So we needed a new system. And I decided, you know what? We can embrace this content thing. We'll do a small vinyl only club or we'll put out thousands of these demos that we have that we keep on the internet because it'll seem like a release, but they sound good and everybody loves to check them out. And or all these guitar lessons or all these drum videos or all these old interviews or all these all making of stuff. I mean, or all these old photo shoots we never put out. I mean, we have entire full music videos for victory era record songs that we never put out just because they either didn't get finished. We got into a fight with the director. Uh, we got into an argument <laughs> with victory, you know, like there's so many things that have happened that all of a sudden we became the perfect candidate for like, a monthly kind of subscription thing because we have like this long history and all these weird things happening. And so the pandemic hit at the perfect time that we had launched the Patreon and started doing a seven inch and stuff. And then it sort of just like snowballed to be the place where we started pushing everything out of because it was the place that started giving right away. Like everybody started we got access to the money, which meant we could double down and make the products right away, right? Without it interrupting anything we were doing. And it led us to an interesting way to kind of funnel people that were really enthusiastic about music and metal and we were doing like yourself out of the social media model, which is impossible, especially once you throw a uh, cultural upheaval on in, in, in the craziest election in American history on top of a pandemic, who the fuck wants to stare at their phone? So it's like, <laughs> shit, all of a sudden, like our legs got cut out from under us because this thing became like the worst weapon and it was no longer our friend anymore. And so Patreon has been a nice respite, a place where we can kind of focus that stuff. And we do it a hundred percent by ourselves. You know, there's, there's four of us that are putting this all together and we have some, I should say there's more eight of us because we have some other buddies who are really helping on the wings when we can, but, but uh, it's a small team and everything you get from the band and everything, every message you get from us, it's from one of us. We're packing it up, we're signing it. I don't think, I don't think it actually would work had we been able to get a third party involved like almost every other fan club or thing we've done in the past. Uh, but because of the perfect storm of situations that happened all together, Darkest Hour now has a Patreon. But I like to end my Patreon rant with this, which is we're a band, we're not a Patreon. So subscribe and get all this content while you can, because things change, you know, MySpace, Facebook, Friendster, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. I mean, it's just coming at you. So I don't think we'll be on the page forever, but I do think that the, few, the, the, the full circle future of the band releasing content on its own and controlling it and monetizing it is here because we have a history of being able to do it. 
successfully. And anytime we involve other people, it gets harder for us to get our vision across. So get it while you can, because this is where we're at right now. <laughs> That's where I ended. Well, one of the things that, that I thought was really cool about, and you, you touched on this yourself a minute ago, one of the things that I thought has been really rewarding about the Darkest Hour Patreon, and that I think probably is, is unique to you guys and your ability to do this, is just how much fucking stuff you have. Um, over the years, I like I had no idea that there were this many different versions of songs that oh, you guys were that <laughs> that you guys were that thorough with the demoing process and the pre-production process. Um, and so that made me sort of go back and look at a lot of my moments from some of your from some of your albums and be like, it's really it's really interesting to me that this could have gone a completely different way and that at some point it probably did. Um, so from the, from the creation standpoint, from the writing standpoint, has that always been something that you guys do with each record? Um, do well, you always sort of, is, is it always just sort of a back and forth and evolution thing with the songwriting? Let's hear a little bit about how this uh, well, music comes together. Well, uh, as the world's changed and as people have heard music and as, you know, I mean, we've, we've been along the ride of the creation of recording on computers since it began. So uh, before that, you know, for Mark of the Judas and for So City, well, let's just say for Mark of the Judas, this was a really good example because we didn't possess a way to record ourselves at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. There are no tape recordings anywhere of Darkest Hour doing anything. We literally just remembered how the song went. You know, just, just remembered and then we showed up to the studio and we recorded it. I mean, it sounds so stupid now. Like we didn't. That's how it was, though. We right? didn't know. Like, I mean, I was like yeah. we, didn't, we didn't know that you would demo anything. We just knew what the ideas were, and and sort of it all kind of came together in there, you know. But there was some some pressure, for good or for worse, with that coming together in there kind of thing. So what ended up happening was on so sedated, so secure. We started you know, doing things that probably people had been doing a decade earlier, like sticking a tape recorder in the room and putting a towel over top of it in this right spot. And so all of the demos for So Sedated, So Secure were recorded on a tape cassette demo with a towel over the top of it, put on top of Ryan's dresser in the other room, that, that perfect spot, you know? Yeah. And um, we started demoing, right? And then that was on So Sedated, So Secure. And we went and we recorded that second album with the producer, Brian McTurnan, who at this point had become a really good friend of mine because he lived in the same area and he had done those two records and he was always recording killer stuff. He, he had just recorded Cave In, Bane, uh, Snapcase. Uh, and he just sort of always had bands around his studio. So I was always like around there picking up on what people were doing. And that's when I first saw that people were recording on computers. Right, so we recorded uh, "Associated So Secure" on two-inch tape, but then in the end, it got put into a computer, so we could like save it. But we like mixed it, mastered it all on twelve on two-inch. So then came "Hidden Hands of Sata Station." So that was another album where we demoed all of that with the tape cassette. Only it was harder because that's when we added a new guitar player when Chris came in, and so Chris. Like he had ideas, but he didn't know how to get involved because we weren't demoing them. So like 
he basically didn't know how to play or didn't even know what we were playing in any of the songs until we got to Sweden. But he's such a talented guy. He got in there as we were doing this stuff and got like ideas in there. We were, we worked like maybe uh, the way a chord progression would move or something so that we could get some more harmonies in there. And all of a sudden a new version of communicating for the band was born where um, in the past it was very direct. It was a bunch of guitar ideas for me, maybe a few from Fred, right to the drummer, translated into like a skeleton. That was a song. Whatever vocals happened later, whatever bass happened later, like fine. But we had a song because we had guitars and drums that went together, you know? So then ab as we recorded Hidden Hands of the Seda Station on a computer, looking at it, like this is the first time we could see the music we were making and we learned in that studio how to do all the stuff because we were running out of time. So we had to track a bunch of the guitars by ourselves at night because the Swedes would go home at five. So me and Chris started learning how to do Apple Spacebar, Apple Z, all the like tricks on the keyboard to learn <laughs> to record. And we got used to it. I mean, we kind of basically learned how to record for the first time on a computer in Gothenburg. And then when I came home, I was completely addicted. You know what I mean? I wanted to record everything. I was super into it. And so we went on tour, went on the 2004 Ozfest. I mean, we went everywhere. And then when it came time to record and write for Undoing Ruin, I had a computer. I had like a, a digi, digital, digital audio workspace, like Pro Tools. And I started recording band practices. And from then on, shit got crazy because then we could demo anything. We could layer stuff. John could do vocals. And we started writing multiple different versions of songs. We started writing like, whole entire just things that were just shred things we started writing instrumentally things and then we started sticking them in places and realizing we could go draw from it later and put it together and so the modern version of our songwriting was born so now i mean i think basically from there on the idea that we we could record entire little sketches of our whole albums if we wanted to and pass them around and you know emailing became a thing at this point and we were doing that with each other. And so uh, now the songs are demoed a lot. And actually later, like on the Human Romance and on the Sumerian record, the labels wanted demos. So that's when we got into starting, you know, also we had had like a decade of recording experience almost at that point. So that's when the demos started to sound like good. Like, and then this became even more of a problem. We started having to like, steal leads from demos that were recorded in a way that they would line up because we couldn't recreate them and we liked that one you know like almost like the album started to be recorded over a course of a year and they were pulled together and that got to be kind of crazy because then we got to be too easy to share the stuff with the labels so they would hear like entire finished albums and then bitch at us about shit we'd change shit and then you'd have all these songs and so uh, the Patreon, I mean, yes, we have hordes of songs that weren't released. Uh, we, we have songs that weren't released off Mark of the Judas, and we have really some really good gems that I haven't rolled out on the Patreon yet because I've only got a few of them that are really good, and I don't know exactly when that will those count, you know. But um, I really appreciate this process now more than ever because the more albums you get, the harder it is to put out, like, a definitively awesome thing where you haven't cannibalized on too many ideas you already had. 
So this process of being able to demo, share, and create files not only builds content, but I think it's definitely made the, the music better. And just to piggyback on that, the same thing is true for tour video. You know what I mean? Because before everybody had an iPhone, we had documentaries on tour with us. We took lots of behind the scenes tour footage. A lot of that was edited and put out on DVDs and played on MTV and uh, random places and then never got shown on the internet. And we have, we can't throw all that stuff on YouTube the same way that you could because there's like so many cross problems with the publishing being owned by Victory for some of those songs and stuff. So we not only have lots of music that never got released, you know, even full badass sounding demos that got sent around to the band and dudes just thought, eh, it's not good enough. Later, you're like, that might be better than something we released. You know what I mean? We also have video, tour video, music video, documentary videos. Like we've just been saving it all. And we've had a bunch of people around us the entire time who've also have been saving it. So we are actually in a great position to be able to kind of curate the history of the band, you know, at under our control. And at the same time, have the time to focus on making the future of the band because it is so readily in line with the content generation type thing. Although like, again, I'm always trying to make new stuff for the Patreon I've been working on a bunch of guitar lessons, stuff we've never talked about on the internet songs. Nobody's ever talked about, you know, John's been working on lyrical explanations and maybe diving into the songs more than he's explained, you know, cause that's kind of dangerous once you, telling everybody what the song's totally about changes what it might be about to them. So, uh, yeah, man, we have the vaults behind all these amps. Yeah, that's, and so as, uh, I kind of look at myself with the bands that I, that I really love and that I've been into for a very long time. I, I, I really enjoy the archivist aspect of, of how I've interacted with their history and to see so much of, to see how rich all of that history is with a band like darkest hour that it extends beyond the music right you've got all these other accompanying things all these other uh you know period of your lives that have been documented on video you know things that have been written down different interviews pictures things like that and so it's really cool to see all of that sort of come together as this whole like world that you can explore you know as a as a, as a fan of the band to get a look into something like that and it's really it's to me to see specifically you guys time in going back to the music uh the music vault part of it to see you guys time in sweden sort of being the 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 point at which that really exploded and you started learning more about you know different ways to record and things like that and like that's how i found darkest hour i you guys have like a really rich hardcore heritage uh in dc um definitely a lot of the 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 veins of that flow through you guys music um i came up in high school on a lot of the new metal stuff like i graduated from high school in 2001 the internet was there it was in its infancy um and on file sharing programs like mirc i got turned on to swedish melodic death metal bands like at the gates um bands like in flames soil work um and when i found out specifically i was like there's two motherfuckers from at the gates on this american metal bands only record the only record ever to have anders 
you know, and um, they have both of them. Yeah. Anderson Thomas, that is not an At The Gates record, is that yeah. record. And, which is and, and so, like, I'm listening to it, and I was like, these motherfuckers are from D.C. Like, it was, it just, it blew my mind when it came out, you know what I mean? Because it had so much, it had so much of that European metallic sensibility mixed in with everything that, that the, the whole world began to love about hardcore as sort of metalcore began to rise during that time in the early to mid-2000s. Um, that leads me in a really long roundabout way to a question about your influences, right? Um, at this point, as long as you guys have been making music, um, what's the stuff that still sort of feeds you? Because we can very much see an evolution of the Darkest Hour sound over the years. Like, it always sounds like you guys, but at the same time, there are some very melodic parts. There's some more experimental stuff. The last record was like a fucking a thrash Super record heavy, played yeah. by a hardcore band. Um, what's what, what all goes into that soup? Well, um, it's kind of funny. Like, we are you. You know what I mean? Like, Darkest Hour is like you all. Like, we love, we are fans. That's why yeah. we got Thomas Clearly. and Anders on the fucking, yeah. like, we're actually psycho fans. You know what I mean? Like, we're so psycho. We're not Punishers, because uh, we don't like, you know, maybe we are, actually. But I'm working we, real hard to, not, I'm working hard to not do that to but, you but right No, now. that's fine. No, uh, we're, we're, pro, we're, we're pros at punishing people and getting punished. But, <laughs> but uh, what, what I'm saying is, um, so we're, 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 we discovered it, you know, this type of music a little bit earlier than you just because of our age. And so we were dedicated, just like any other fan, to going around the world and, and falling in love with your influences. But something strange happened after they broke up, which is we kept going around the world telling everybody about this band that was up. And almost a lot of people hadn't heard about the gates past the mid nineties and didn't care, you know, cause there was other yeah. stuff. So uh, what do you do when you have more albums than your influence? Like, what do you do when you've, when you've gone to the well of at the gates and in flames and then you're your own band. And so, yeah. I think that's where the the more classic uh, influences of the band start to creep in, like where we were when we were truly falling in love with heavy metal, because there's sort of like two tiers to the influences, well, three really to the, to what's happening in Darkest Hours music. I mean, first you have, you know, our intense love for bands that sound very similar to us in the same genre. So in Flames, At The Gates, Dark Cane, Dark Tranquility, Soil Work. Fucking love you know Dark I mean? The Haunted, so you know, uh, yeah. Opeth. Like, you know, those bands, Amon Amarth, they all sort of sound like guys listening, whatever. But Darkest Hour also sounds different. So you're like, why does it sound different? Well, like, those bands, while they are all European, they grew up also in a different generation. So we're, like, coming, we also have, like, an American, for lack of a better term, North American viewpoint that they don't have. Because yeah. we also were heavily influenced by, uh, you know, the big four, first of all, Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, who wasn't, but then also don't forget Pantera, who also I think might've had different kind of impact over here in, in some ways, which really uh, to us made, an, made, made, uh, made a really vibrant aspect of what we were kind of doing like once pantera came in there and and that got mushed up with the big four you have sort of the crux but then you've got swedish 
melodic metal or whatever you'll call it, just melodic death metal. And then you have our contemporaries. I mean, then you have bands like Gojira, Mashuga, you know, even The Haunted is a newer band than A Darkest Hour in some senses. Like, um, if you want to stay alive, you got to keep moving kind of like a shark. So you've got to sort of figure out what you can become. You know, I mean, you can't stay what you, what you were, so you might as well be fine with what you are kind of thing. So we've always kind of have to like go, let go a little bit of each album as we've done it because it's easy to go, okay, you just want to copy the sound of that album. But if you look at our discography, they all have a distinct viewpoint and something to say. And that is done on purpose because we don't think, like, although there are some people that will claim we put out the same record over and over again, we don't feel like we ever have. And the only way for us to continue to stay alive as a band is to always be pushing the envelope of what, people might expect and that is for good and for worse because sometimes people don't like the direction that we go in right away as much as maybe the direction that they have been in love with forever or maybe they don't like it at all and never come around or maybe they like it better right away but either way you kind of put some cards on the table when you make every album new album you make you know and you have to be willing to say i might make something that everybody who loves me right now might not like but i have to make something new because I'm an artist, like I literally, this is what I do, you know? And if I'm not gonna put the music out, it's gonna just end up in a hard drive on my computer and you are gonna hear about it on Patreon. So I might as well try to make it good and put it out. So once you're a person that all you do is create and you don't, and you don't wanna do anything else, then you do it. And then you figure out a way to always make it be a little different because you're always constantly, your brain is turning like, what if I did this? that so maybe most noticeably on the Sumerian record because we changed it's a rhythm section and that gave us the ability to do all sorts of shit we never made we threw the fucking kitchen sink at that one that might have been a lot for people to take in at once but once that happened we did break the mold open of what is a darkest hour song what can be a darkest hour song and now we get to choose you know and I think that allows it to be a little bit younger and I will say at the end of my rant about that shit, I usually pop in, you know, music came around to us. When I was a kid in high school, we didn't sound that different. You know, I mean, the first Darkest Hour demo sucks. Don't get me wrong. And it's definitely not as good as Mark of the Judas, but it's not ska. It's not pop punk. You know what I mean? Right. And every, all along the way, everybody kept telling me, wow, like, the music's kind of cool, but the vocals are terrible. Like, nobody's going to like this. Like, what do you, what you, this is terrible. This is not catchy. This is not going to be on the radio. You're never going to make a lot of money off this. <laughs> I mean, you're never going to play arena. You know, you'll never play big venues. Yeah, everything you can think. But the thing is now, who the fuck even cares about a radio? You know, but back when people still kind of listened to them and the internet was there, screaming got on the radio fast heavy metal is on the radio and now people don't even give a fuck about the radio because they want something even that speaks closer to them so they go to the internet so now it's not even a problem so i think part of how we've been able to stand, sound so relevant even though we've remained old is that what we have been doing for so long is in touch with the basic cores of heavy metal in a way almost that like judas priest in the early years weren't because they go from like a rock band to a 
to a metal metal band up to um, from you know british steel to painkiller you know but that's also you're listening to the time of music but still like darkest hour like we've been doing this sort of thing and the world of heavy metal and outside have come around to being like this is okay you know and that's helped you know in flames getting big helped machine head getting big kill switch engage getting big you know what i mean all of these bands pushing uh the same sort of style of music really helps people understand that like oh this is something that draws five hundred thousand people that that does well at the bar that you know venues will take a chance on etc you know so uh that's a you know that's kind of where we're at <laughs> well i there's the 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 different sort of the ebb and flow of the sound over the years i feel like has been uh, you know not necessarily when you said when you say sounding relevant versus old or being old or whatever i don't really look at it that way i i look at it more of you guys doing what you want to do right but just that sort of i i don't know i i don't even want to say capitalizing on different movements but just it's always sounded like darkest hour, even though things have might might have might have changed. Like you said, regarding yeah, the lineup you, and everything. You know, right. some of that might be like literally the sound of people that were around. Yeah, lineups. Because, like, right? like not even the lineups. I'm talking about the people that the bands around. Like we have toured with so many amazing like musicians. Like you know, Tosin Abasi, Mr. Guitar World. I mean, we took him on his first European tour when he's in a band called Reflux. He's from our area. You know, Javier, the other guitar player in Animals Leaders, is badass as fuck as well, and he's from this area, you know? Um, I think being around a lot of these Sumerian bands that were younger, Osiris, Vale of Maya, being in that world periphery, and then also having luckily been able to be associated with bands like Integrity, Earth Crisis, Snapcase, Dead Guy, like from that era, you know what I mean? And even still be able to tour with cursive, uh, anti-flag, you know what I mean? Even every time I die, like just sort of like in that almost Vans warp tour kind of thing. It's like, uh, you know, I think being around all that, you start to listen to bands and see what they're doing and you pull it in. And so you're not just listening to your Ozzy Osbourne records and you're at the Gates records. You're also watching Killswitch Engage you know, who in some ways is, you know, I'm not like necessarily listening to a Killswitch record and going like, how do I do something like that? But I am watching them play and going, God damn, I love how this sounds so melodic right here. And I love how that chord does that. And so, I mean, our contemporaries and the people we've toured with and the eras and even the record labels we've been on and even the owners of those labels and the A&R people and the producers, oh my God, can't even forget about that shit that is the other thing we're like a sponge so you put us with devin motherfucking townsend and you get deliver us and undoing ruin because you've got devin devin sort of like permeating all of that and when that's gone you get the more bleak raw darkest hour that is basically a translation of of brian mcturnan you know who's our first earlier producer you know and did the eternal return and when you hear the Swedes taken on, you hear a totally distinct, different approach. And it's not just the audio and the, 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 the way it sounds or whatever feels, it's, it's the thought that went into the composition of what happened before. 
you know? And uh, even when you get to uh, the human romance, why does it sound different? Well, because that's Peter Witcher's in there too, you know? And then self-titled, why is that so drastically different to Peter and Brian and Devin? And well, that's Taylor Larson. He's like a younger guy who's had a different experience with these uh, totally different sounding band. And then why does the last record sound like a hardcore band playing thrash or whatever he said? Well, yeah. man, maybe the lead guitar player from Converge had something to do with that. Perhaps. So maybe. I think a lot of what you hear on the albums is also Darkest Hour's willingness, ability, and affinity for working with a producer. I mean, we, we trust me, we are assholes to work with occasionally or, or whatever. <laughs> like we are not just doing whatever producer wants to do. We will push back hard if we don't like something. If our, But we also are willing today we don't necessarily have the best idea in the room and when someone like one of these talented people can take your song and change a chord change a feel of the drums change a lead and 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 you like it better like you like it better that gift like is so intoxicating that you trust you, you build that bridge of trust you know and then it happens over and over again and then you have the sound of a record you know and then once you do that over multiple albums, you start to have the sound of a band, you know. One of the one of the things that I think is is really cool about hearing it described that way is is to see you know career musicians who've been doing this for so long still have that you know humility and that ability to sort of be influenced by the things that are around them, right? No, oh, it's um, total fear. I like that it presents itself like humility. Oh, it's great. It's fear, dude. Like you need up with something better you know and it's not gonna always just happen right here you you need help so when you find something that helps you're like a person who's drowning in water and you found like some kind of flotation but you're like thank you can i just do that 12 more times and have another album please you know but it's never that easy so uh you know i don't think anybody should be tricked like it, you know, everyone that writes songs on their own or tries to do their own artistic endeavor by themselves will soon realize that there's lots of failures you have to embrace to get anywhere. So our willingness to, to, to be that collaborative totally comes from a place of just really wanting to try to do better than we did before and wanting to stay alive and stay in the game. And to do that, you got you got to be hungry and you have to like, really look for help when you can get it sure i mean you can call that fear if you want to but i think that there's an adventurousness in there too right well we we and, uh it has to be fun yes you know? there's this murphy's kind of, law there's this murphy's law song this hardcore band i don't know if you've heard murphy's law they have a song just called you gotta have fun yeah sometimes we'll just like listen to it just like like fuck and you're like oh yeah okay like we should just go like smoke a bong for a second okay because this is supposed to be fun right here like this should be fun it's supposed to also be hard though you know because we want you all to get a good album and that means you have to dig deep and you have to write about hard things and look in hurtful places to find inspiration so yeah i think that that definitely it's a place of fear but also it's fun i mean i wouldn't be sitting in a room full of all this shit all these toys if it wasn't 
what I wanted to do all day. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that it, you guys have always sounded like you have fun, and you your live shows, you know, are 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 fun, and like it, it's it's it that seems very much built into the DNA of the band. And thinking about how that sort of interacts with different, you know, producers that you've that you've been with over the years, specifically the Devin Townsend records, um, I always got a kick out of thinking about what it would have been like to be in the studio with you guys and him at the same time. Oh, he seems that was when he was in his fucking SYL days when he was a little bit zanier, right? Uh, oh man, he- we got to hear. You want a Devin story, man? We got to hear Ziltoid before anyone heard Ziltoid or knew what Ziltoid was at oh, all. Shit. And he was like, I got this idea for a heavy metal puppet show. And we were like, <laughs> dude, what are you fucking talking about? But then he played it for us and we were like, and then he told us it was like he had done the drums and he had recorded himself, but it sounded insane. We we're like, oh, you can do that. And another thing that was really crazy about Devin is he knew that he, he knew that me and Chris had this sort of like guitar insanity going on and he knew that he was really good, but he always did what he could to like, he was so, I mean, I, it's whatever the opposite of condescending is <laughs> like, he was so cordial, I guess with us, like he put up with all of our stupid shit. I still have on a little piece of paper over here where he had written down a bunch of the positions of the, like regular pentatonic blues scale and the different tuning that he was using the open C tuning. Cause he was just like trying to show me how he was doing it. And like, he was so nice to like, I mean, this motherfucker was recording our album for six weeks and he's still got to take the time to give me guitar lessons. What the fuck? And uh, he never, he never like took the guitar out of your hand, even though he could do anything that you were trying to track. You know what I mean? Like you never got the sense that if something hard for you to get that he was gonna, uh judge you he was always there to help get the best possible thing and you know it, it even when we get hot in there and it would just be like just running through running through stuff and people are sweating or whatever he would always know when to make something really funny and really light um and we never really got to see him play guitar and then one day me and chris went to go get some pizza because that's you know vancouver there's all this crazy shit but of course we just walk and get pizza or some cheap sushi and walk back to the studio because we had to work every single hour we walked in on on Devin he didn't know we were there and he was just like playing guitar and he was so fucking good he didn't know we were there man he didn't know anybody was there watching him play guitar he just he just it was like an alien you know and uh <laughs> then we then we walked in we were, play that again man and he was just like like but uh he really put his heart and soul into undoing ruin like and then you know tore it out on deliver us with the amount of passion he put into those records and i don't ever expect him to take my phone call again let alone uh produce another record with the amount of passion and time we got to spend with him we were so lucky i mean he is the definitive heavy metal god of that generation to me. He can play guitar and he can fucking sing and he can compose and he can change it up and he can do 10 projects. Man. And, and, and hold tight. I, this this cat hold on, I'll tell you. Hold on. Sorry. 
Mike's fly bomb is off in his. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm took off for a minute because. Uh, see, we got to see. The dojo cat right here. I don't know if you can see him. Oh yeah, I can see him. He. This is Jet. She had to get in here. She just was like, she heard we were telling uh, Devin Townsend stories, and she was just like at the door. I can't even talk because she's gonna scrape it down. So cats uh, love cats love Devin. Cats love Devin. But but uh, he was really humble. Okay, and strapping young lad broke up. In between, yeah. when I believe in between those two albums, so yes. like maybe maybe did we stay at Bar? No, because we stayed with the bass player of Strapping Young Lad uh, for Undoing Room. We stayed at his his house in a basement, and then for Deliver Us, we got like a nicer apartment. But um, it was amazing because, dude, oh god, this is so awesome. So Jed from Strapping Young Lad was staying there too, and poor Jed. He was from America, but was living up there doing strapping with the guys. And he lived in Byron's basement too. Byron had rented out the basement's darkest hour to record with Devin. Okay. So like basically in the basement behind a Slayer flag, Jed lived. <laughs> so he just didn't go into Jed's room because there was this big Slayer flag and he lived back there and he didn't say shit. Until one day, me and Chris were having the most fucking annoying argument about who was more badass, Eddie Van Halen or John Petrucci or whatever. And man, out of nowhere, fucking Jed comes from out the Slayer curtain. He's like, shut up. It's goddamn Eddie Van Halen, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> we were like terrified of him, right? <clears throat> and uh, man, the whole garage was full of fucking strapping young lad, everything. It was like their warehouse. And they just taken over that whole house. And uh, John was in the other room and he thought that the vibe of the room was too bright, right? So like he thought he was writing the lyrics for Undoing Ruin, you know? So he thought he would up the vibe a little bit by uh, taking a piece of paper and wrapping it around the light bulb to dim it down a little bit. Well, for all you kids at home, if you put paper around a light bulb, it will catch on fire, okay? So don't do that. And basically I had to call Devin and tell him that John almost burned Byron's house down because he taped paper around a light bulb because it was too bright. And Devin was like, the stars, man, they're oh, just like so us. Hopefully I didn't, hopefully we didn't play into the drama that ended eventually strapping a lad by that, but we definitely almost burned down Byron's house. So. Oh, I, and he, you know, I'm sure he got over it. He seems like a nice enough guy. He did, and uh, the last, uh, man, there's so many Devin stories, I just like to throw them out there, but the last one was when we recorded Deliver Us, we recorded the drums in the stu in Brian Adams' studio in downtown Vancouver, where, you know, I think Pretty Hate Machine, there was an awesome Nine Inch Nails record there, yeah. uh, ACDC Stip Upper Lip. I mean, dude, it's like an insane studio, and Devin... Uh, convinced us to go record down there and we got there and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. I've not recorded since in a nicer recording environment, you know, and um, for deliver us, we tracked the like probably 25 versions of every song. Like, I mean, they weren't that different, but on the drums, like 25 different versions, different takes where Ryan was playing different fills I mean, we, he like was next level, whatever he was looking for to try to pull it together. And 
I remember like sitting in that like room being like, like is this real life? Like Devin was in there, engineer guys in there. There's like monogrammed paper that says the warehouse, you know, and you just felt like you really were there. And uh, it was, it was like one of the, probably the two best weeks of my life in some ways, because it was like that recording experience you always wanted to have, like the nicest recording studio, sick ass spot in Vancouver, like where the band's staying and you have this, you know, that yep. was, that was, it was awesome. We were so lucky. And, you know, we, we haven't attempted to try to redo any of that because every record's different. And like I said, like, I don't really know given the amount of success Devin's had, you know, whether the amount of passion it would take to top what he's already done would be worth it. And I think that's why Deliver Us was really hard on him because Undoing Ruin was like a standout album for the band. It really brought the metal community that large attention at us. And then we put it right back on Devin by saying, let's follow, let's do the follow-up record with you, you know, and that almost set him up to fail, but in the end we got another really great record it yeah. wasn't that but well it was so over over the, the the course of the the history of the band it's it's interesting to see sort of the ebb and flow of different influences come and go it's really cool to talk to you about different producers and sort of and all the other people around you at the time who have sort of been involved in you know shifting the band in one way or another and and, and you guys absorbing their shit and sort of bringing it back out of yourselves in a, in a different way um, leading us all the way up to the brand new Darkest Hour record that you're working on right now. Um, tell us a little bit about that, man. What direction I'm are we going at, in? Well, I'm looking at the board right here. Of, but uh, so, man, the, you know, the pandemic sort of like snapped us right in the middle. Yeah. Like we had, we had a lot. We had like this album that was in an embryo state, but it was being made while we were going on tour. And honestly, it wasn't being made with any kind of sense of urgency before the pandemic, because we weren't really sure what the fuck we we're gonna do. You know what I mean? Like we, we, were, we were doing fine touring off the, the album that we had and we had a lot of tours. We started doing anniversary tours for Undoing Ruin. We started playing that album in its entirety. Like we were just busy. And you know, the way that people consumed music, honestly, like it didn't seem like a full length record was gonna really even be needed maybe we could put out some singles maybe do an ep we were just like playing around and then the pandemic hit and then everybody's communication styles changed we, we started talking on the email all the time and then over zoom but we tried to even be collaborative over zoom and that was super fucking hard i mean we tried all sorts of things to be like all right we're stuck we can't tour now we got to make a record like yeah. now's our time but then we realized that like the strength of our band, you know, I mean, every band's different, you know, we don't necessarily have a Devin Townsend. It's not me, you know what I mean? It's not John. So the strength of our band is actually collaborative. And this is a lost art in 2021 with a lot of bands, okay? Cause it's much easier for bands to have one person write everything, everybody learn it and move the fuck on. I mean, it literally almost feels like that's the new normal, you know? And it used to be like, there was a band and this bass player wrote his bass parts, drummer wrote his drum parts, guitar player wrote his all his guitar. Everybody got a room, they wrote a song together. And there wasn't a song that existed before because they wrote one together, you know? Yeah. And so 
you started realizing that, man, you know, um, we're not going to be able to just make a record over the internet that's going to be better than the nine that we have and be album 10. So we started to go backwards and we started to go back to like, well, we know how to make demos and send it to people and get a basic theme, but let's just start over, you know? And we started over, but at the same time we were busy doing the Patreon. And then all the stuff started to snowball because we started coming up with a couple of new things here or there and passing around the internet that were cool. And we started coming up with a kind of a couple of cool ways that we did start to interact. And then we got together because we decided to do a live stream. And this was right before the ultra lockdowns happened, you know? And we wrote together again and we were like, oh shit, came up with some good ideas. And then the lockdowns hit, the live stream hit, and then we were back, we were stepped back again. But now, as I'm talking to you, uh, as of last week, uh, John, who doesn't normally live in Washington, D.C., he's been, he was in L.A., but like most Californians, left L.A. during the pandemic, and he's been staying with some friends actually in Germany. But he's back here in the U.S., back here in D.C., uh, not here right now because I'm doing an interview with the guys, and I told him to not be at the dojo because he just, but um, he's in town. We're working for the next six weeks. We are going to go into a studio here in D.C. and record uh, what we believe is is an album, you know, just like for all intensive purposes, we're going to go in the studio and record an album for ourselves, period. Okay. And the album will be a sketch of what we think is a Darkest Hour album now. And then we will sit on it for a minute and we will decide whether we were crazy, whether we have, you know, all the songs we need or whether we need a song or two, whether we need to fill in the gaps, whether there's something missing, whether there's something wrong with the sequence, you know? And then my hope is to turn around and record that again, but in a much more hi-fi setting where we spend a lot more money on the overall product and bring someone else in to make sure we deliver the audio version of it that we want to. Um, I don't, I don't see us releasing what we're recording, you know, oh, we, well, we probably will to the Patreons because they will be good enough that if there's something good along the way, but what we want to do is we really want to, uh, we really are, uh, new proponents of writing in drafts. Okay. This is where we've kind of developed since we started to self-record. So now we've sort of taken that philosophy a hundred percent and said, you know what? Let's make it. And, and I suggest people who are, are doing their own composing do this because you'll be surprised how far down the road you get. But we are. Let's make a record. OK. And I will tell you all a few things that I think definitely have come from this are this next record is not going to be some 16 song double disc. OK. This is no reason, I think, for Darkest Hour and Album 10 to do that. There was a reason for us to do that on titled album. But this is going to be a more pointed album in the ways that like Undoing Ruin or Deliver Us were. Although those were like 11 and 12 tracks, uh, one or two of the tracks on each one of those were instrumentals. They weren't real. You know, we're talking about those were like 10 song albums, period. And they clocked in under or around 35 to 38 minutes based on the fact that they had to fit on an actual vinyl record. So I'm not saying that the Next Darkest Hour Records length is going to be dictated by just wanting to keep it short. But I am saying we're not going to be putting out an album with 
any songs that are risks that we feel like we are gonna it's gonna be all killer no filler all bangers you know what i mean and we want an album that when you put on when you get to the end you're like want to listen to the whole thing again and that isn't necessarily like uh use your illusions one and two if you will it's not a concept record and i definitely think lyrically oh and this is hard for me to say because i'm not the the, the main lyricist you know john is but we all have some say in the overall voice of what's happening. And I last album was uh, a lot trickier where he went theme wise, because he went with like sort of a story and, and told his worldview through the story of a character, which I think he needed to do on album, you know, nine, because you can only be so autobiographical before you start talking about the same shit. But so much in the world has happened now and there's so much that you know we all have to say and so much people have to reflect on and express that i think that now might be the time for some more uh autobiographical viewpoints lyrically you know and maybe it's it's going to be a little bit more direct it will be still but it's not going to be hidden in metaphor in a way that some of the other stuff like what we have to say or what we're going to talk about yeah i I, I feel like I need John Henry to sum up the last couple of years for me in song because I'm having a fucking hard time processing it. Well, but, you know, John, John is, he's an interesting guy because he has a, he has a really strange way of like, like he's not a guy that's going to just like present to you the solution to the problem in like in the forefront of the lyrics. But what I find is that when he, explores how he feels and what he's seeing and and what he has to say about it in the end he ends up kind of like proposing in a strange way in answer to what he's saying but it's sort of like you have to think about it and that is a lot considering that a lot of times he's screaming in a death metal vocal where not everyone who's familiar with the music can figure out what he's saying right away so uh i have always appreciated that people read the lyrics and I've always appreciated that John's had a voice in them, that he's had something to say, you know? And I think that, uh, uh, I, I will say there are, I think a lot of people looking for like, sort of like, I don't know if there's a lot of people. I think there are some people who are looking for an almost hidden hands translation of the world today. But I think what is going to happen will be something slightly different because I think what's different now than was different when we wrote Sadist Nation is the bludgeoning of opinion and the bludgeoning of sensory overload that's happened to all of us through the, through the way we're consuming music. So we don't want a Darkest Hour record to, in some ways, just get washed into the white noise by... trying to shout some of the same ideas that are out there. What we want to do is connect with people emotionally so that there's an actual impact. And that actually might take writing songs that have a more personal tinge and a less outwardly obvious political opinion about the world straight up and down. But that being said, I guarantee that'll be in there too. You can't stop that given the way that we all are and the way that everything is. But I think we want to uh harness ourselves a bit because we want to make an album that's timeless and you can fall into the trap of 
championing all these demons by trapping too many of their details in your art over and over again. And I'll, and I'll illustrate that by saying, just imagine you wrote with a thousand words to say, but one, like a love song about someone, you know what I mean? But let's just say that years later, like everyone else, like that, that feeling was legit legendary, but you are now in love completely wholly with someone else because that's what happens to people. They grow, you know what I mean? Like every love song that Morrissey sang isn't about the same person, you know what I mean? So, but now that story is now encapsulated in this song that everyone loves or the feeling that convalescence is about, you know, is maybe not something that someone at 40 feels the same way that someone at 30 did or whatever, but now that is encapsulated there. And when you sing it over and over again and you play it over and over again and you see people you know tattoo the lyrics about it over and over again and, and, and Convalescence becomes a song that has a music video and has over a million streams and you're singing it all the time and it's your song that everybody's asking you about, then you start to be like, wow, like this is really, really hard to reflect on this misery over and over and over for your all's entertainment you know what i mean and so that is that is that crazy collision where it has to be real you know and it has to say what we want to say and in some ways there's nothing we can do that is not going to date it to some painful event but at least it's ours and it's not trump's painful event or fucking america's inability to you know figure out who's telling the truth. You know what I mean? It's basically just like, uh, <clears throat> you know, more of a cerebral thing that happens, if you will. You know what I mean? And I think that that's where we're at emotionally with the concept of the record. I mean, of course it's about the world, but what do we have to say that's gonna connect with people over time, you know? And uh, I'm sure once the album gets more fleshed out, I'll have more answers. And then. Probably maybe in like two months I can come back. Yo, I was fucking totally wrong. John came in here and wrote about fucking bananas. The whole thing's about fruit. It's like a we, man. We would, you know, we would love to have it's you it's back a, in a couple of months. Yeah, well, we, you yes. can have me back when the album's done, and we'll talk about all the shit I was wrong about. All right, we'll, or we'll maybe what on. I was right about. But we're gonna have fun doing it. Mike. You are a profound motherfucker. You have got a really, really cool insight into your art. This has been an amazing conversation. For a couple of things. First, I, I live in D.C. now, right? So yeah, if where? I see well, you... Well, you can't tell I, me on the podcast. If but you I, live I'll in, say in, in, Petworth. I'm in Petworth. Oh, shit! You're going to definitely see me. You're in my neighborhood, and you have a uh, Hope Conspiracy shirt on shit. If I, yes. If, I'm the dude running down the street every day. If I see you at Safeway, I'm going to say hi to you, man. Listen, you or anyone, you see me anywhere, just say say hi. If that's your impulse, if you want to talk to me, like if I'm like screaming a little kid to do something, you know, my 10-year-old, sometimes dads need to do that. You know, maybe wait till I'm got her off the curb sure. or whatever. But you know, you're all smart. But I'm not one of these people that I uh, is going to say like excuse me i'm in my private moment like i <laughs> i i love you know that van halen pantera open door policy backstage life more than anyone probably in my band you know i'm a open extrovert 
So I love meeting people like you on the street. And the thing about people like you that live in my hometown that I might see more than once is it isn't too many more interactions before we become friends. And, you know, and then that conversation of, Hey man, what's up is, is fun. That's, that's, that's what, that's what this is all fucking about is you or someone like you coming up to me somewhere and be like, Hey man, Whoa, you're in darkest hour. That really moved me. You know what I mean? That right there, that is a hundred percent why it's worth doing awesome, anything, man. you know? So yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview That's, and absolutely. And also of course, subscribe to the Patreon and your continual love for the band and support for the band and your love for heavy metal to be sticking it out that long. Cause some people, they move, they move on with their hobbies and I get yeah. it, but, uh, you know, we appreciate you. We're just like you, man. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can wrap in real life. Most definitely. Know, whenever and I see you on the street. Before, before you know, we, absolutely. Hopefully he can ask one question before he, he gets up here and asks you questions. Oh, no. Speaking, okay. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of being lifers, right? Since I've fucking bulldozed Zach the entire time, we end this podcast on a very special note every time. Zach, I'm sorry that I have just fucking rolled over you like a tank. No, nah, I feel bad. Zach, hit me, dude. I'll give you that over time. I love you. I Zach, love you both. I love you. You're so, Mike, you're such a wealth of information. I didn't dare step in that, in that crossfire. I, oh, I never shut up. That's awesome. You're great. But our, our final question is, what is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Oh, shit. Dude, this is a sick question. Damn, Thank you me. don't got time for the answer to my question. But you you gotta get the, we got what's time. the quickest possible version? Fuck on. Yep, this happens. Okay, listen, I'm telling you, it's technical ecstasy. Whoa, I love it. Holy That's shit. the first time but, that answer. But, but listen, but listen, never say die is badass shit. I know. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. And then, um, all right. So let me sabotage. Also, fucking sick. Now, look. Everybody likes like you know the first couple records, whatever. I get it. But I am in love with Black Sabbath right before Ozzy left. Okay. Technical Ecstasy, Backstreet Kids, Dirty Woman, Dude, Rock and Roll Doctor, Dude. Listen. The most fucked up thing about the album is that stupid track where Geezer sings and Ozzy isn't even on it. Yeah. It's like track two. It's fucked up. I always <laughs> got to skip that track. This is how good the record is. That was a fucking serious mistake by Black Sabbath putting that song on that record. You know what song I'm talking about? It's all right. Dude, all right. Put that shit on the end or a B side because it ain't all right, motherfucker. That's, that that song like, is not good. That was but, like a star moment for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, they do love the Beatles and they were really trying to get, you know, Ozzy out of there. Yeah. Closer. Okay, but um, I love technical ecstasy because it really speaks to me. The songs go on journeys, and they're super awesome, and they have a lot of cool things to say. Never say die is super cool too because it is also the same sort of era, and there's some good jams on that. But I want to suggest that people really check out the album Sabotage because that has megalomania on it, and that has the writ. That last song is about their manager, and it's fucking badass. And that whole album, Sabotage, was written when they were in a super bad state as a band. And it's all about their manager and being a band and all this crap. And it's so funny because I can relate to so many ways they felt misery and put that in their music in a way to try to hide it. But now years later, it's like so clear what the fucking was about, you know? Uh, But I do think that album has hole in the sky it's cool you know it, it's it's troubled but it's really cool 
Yeah. And, it, and, and Never Say Die is also jam-packed with a really cool later almost rock sound. Technical Ecstasy is my final answer because that to me was like the Black Sabbath's Jefferson Starship moment. Sure. You know? Fucking awesome tracks on there, man, yeah, for it's sure. A great record. You won't change me, I think, fucking riffs. Oh, Rock dude, and roll doctor. Man, you won't change me. The way I am is the way I am. Dude, that is like so punk, man. And you know, Ozzy didn't give a fuck back then. He didn't give a fuck so much that he got kicked out of the band. Right. Black Sabbath. That's attitude. Yeah, you got like that's a lot. Sabbath. <laughs> and then, and wait, I want to tell you one more story. I got to be on a tour with the original lineup of Black Sabbath. Well, 2004 Ozfest. 2004 Ozfest was... Black Sabbath was, you know, Tony Aomi, Geezer Butler, Bill Ward, and Ozzy Osbourne for the last time in America. We got to watch it every night. It crazy. Fucking wild, man. And they were all, like, they were all hard to meet, but were pleasant when you did run into them. So, uh, Black Sabbath, the gods. That's so The gods. Dude, like, thank you so much for your time, man. Cheers, really dude. Thanks for having it. me in the dojo. I got to bounce, too, but. Absolutely. Take care, brother. Business. We will see you around. All right, I will man. see you around. I'll I'm see you on the Patreon, you. too, dude. You're on there. Yes, sir. Hey, and let me know when this goes up, and we'll tell the Patreons it's up. Right? I will. Dude. I will certainly Thanks, keep in man. touch. Cool. Thanks All again, right. homie. Cheers, dude. Party Peace on. Out. Yep. Later. I'm out. Holy shit, what a good dude. Yeah, that was a lot of information, man. That's why I just kicked it. Like, I was like, not going to interrupt him. I'm sorry to fucking bulldoze you like no, that. No, no, be seriously. I think I think it's great. You're such a huge fan of shows, man. That's that's fucking rad. It was a good time. That dude's funny. Oh, man. I, was, I wonder it, where it, he gets it, all his energy. Is it bong rips? You think? It could be bong rips. Um, yeah. I I think it's I think it's just like good dude vibes. Yeah, sort of emanate from like, him. Yeah, I got a good vibe for sure. Oh man, what a great chat. What a great dude. I hope you get to see him at a gas station in DC. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out right now and just start walking around the neighborhood and see like, hmm, that that townhome looks a little bit like Mike Schleibaum from Darkest yeah. Hour might live there, and then I'm just gonna knock on the door. I'm just running. I have a casual extra keto vegan sandwich for you, Mike. That's just uh, just had that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I put that onto the universe. I hope that happens for you, bro. I love you. You and me both, brother. Thank you so right. much for this. Love you, man. I love you, man. I'll see you soon. Yes, we will talk soon. Peace out.